I mean, every family has a story. If you go through the old ones, tell the young ones stories mm -hmm. uh, that the Miss Caputo used to have her uh, English class uh, tell mm -hmm. stories as one of their assignments, and they put together. Just about every single one of those books has some type of moonshine story in it. Episode 8, Cold Springs and Cold Cases. Aligning with my theory, Capone did travel through Mont Eagle, Tennessee on his way to his Miami home via the Dixie Highway. Slim ran his taxi to and from Mont Eagle. Last week, we learned of a new character who played a part in our story. Cooper Melton operated on the same land where the Short Mountain Distillery now sits. Billy, the owner of Short Mountain Distillery, told us how Capone got his Tennessee moonshine from Cooper Melton. Cooper's location was 60 miles from High Point Restaurant in Mont Eagle and only 20 miles from McMinnville. It would have been a convenient detour for Slim to pick up the shine from Cooper's place. Then Slim would continue his route to Mont Eagle to make the drop and carry on the rest of the day business as usual. No one would question him. It would be a normal route. I realize that I'm taking us fast down a rabbit hole, but trust me, I'm bringing us to a point a major point in this investigation. The interview at Short Mountain Distillery brought me to the great-granddaughter of Cooper Melton, Melanie Nestad. She is the author of the book Mechanicsville, which is a community located not far from the distillery. So I got back on that same road, Short Mountain Road. I took a ride down a gravel road, which was a mile or so from Short Mountain, and located to my left was a log cabin, and suddenly it was like I had taken a turn through a wormhole, and I had ended up in the early 1900s. The houses, the road that I was on, a cemetery, everything was a step back in time. I finally reached my destination, which was a quaint Methodist church dating back to the early 1800s. Melanie and her husband let me into the church where we would be conducting the interview. The church that you're sitting in now, it's been around since before 1825. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and uh, there's actually, my father had seen uh, plats where uh, just across this field over here would have been laid out for lots if you're looking up any deeds or histories there it uh, it'll say lot five or lot four everything and there was a, a tannery a coffin factory the church um the general store so mm. there's just a lot of history right up here in mechanicsville my grandparents on my mother's side had taken me up and down short mountain road as a kid I just didn't know how much history is located in all the crooks and crevices on Short Mountain Road. That's when this church, we think, wow. was built. It may have been over in front of the cemetery, the cabin that you passed mm -hmm. by. I saw that. Um, the deed for that is somewhere around 1824. I had an MTSU professor came wow. come and look at it that... Um, 
specialized in log cabins, and he said, yes, the way it's pegged, the way that it's built mm. is well into the early 1800s, so um, mm. possibly could have been here as early as Indian Territory. This land didn't open up until 1806 when the road started coming through, and they moved. They kept moving the lines of the reservation, uh, so that's when the area started opening up, and you see people migrating into the area. So the Pattersons, um, the Meltons, all of those are some of the first people that came into this area. Grizzles, all the ones that made the moonshine. Melanie now gets into her background. I started oh, so. out in uh, my MTSU major was radio and advertising, so I actually oh, really? worked at WBRY as one of my first oh. jobs. So. Oh. Yeah, I've been a nurse for 36 years. Wow. Yeah, I'm 57, so. Don't look 57. Thank you. you Yeah, I graduated in 80 and worked at uh, WBRY in 80, 81, so. I asked her about her family ties to Mechanicsville. My grandfather was James Cooper Melton. It's actually my great-grandfather. His daughter, Sarah Patterson, uh, Mary James Cooper Melton, and so both uh, have uh, line, lines on the Madis- the Melton side and the Patterson side. So, but yes, James Cooper is uh, famous for making a little moonshine. Famous, yes, he was enough to attract people from all around. But he had to do what he had to do to survive. Yeah. Well, that's the only way you had means of making any type of money. I mean, we're, you don't have, you've got farming. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, corn makes good moonshine. You've got the perfect setting in the hills here in Cannon County because you've got deep hollows. And as everybody said, you have cold, cold springs. Mm-hmm. And they say one of the coldest springs there is is on Jane Cooper Melton's uh, property, which is now where the Short Mountain Distillery mm-hmm. is at. And so you can go up there and tour the spring Moonshine has been a reoccurring theme of the Great Depression. Simply put, doing what you had to do to survive. Exactly what Slim was doing. Utilizing his taxi business as a one-stop shop for illegal moonshine transportation. Even some of those who would quote Bible, book, chapter, verse about the dangers of alcohol they too would get their hands dirty in order to feed their family. There's a story even um, of the Methodist minister uh, coming up to Mr. Grizzle, who was one of the very first um, area in this community, and uh, was saying, you know, I can't feed my children anymore. I can't put socks and I can't put shoes on my children. And Mr. Grizzle told him, he said, well, come with me. He said, you got to be quiet about it. And so the Methodist minister helped uh, Mr. Grizzle make moonshine, but, you know, that's how, mm. that's how you fed your family. Everybody yeah. everybody around here was involved in it in some yeah. way. So, In episode five, we heard from Brandon Hillis about his family's involvement in the manufacturing of moonshine. He spoke of the revenuers Melanie also mentions. Like the revenuers? Yes. <laughs> All the time. I don't know any particular story, but I know they... Uh. They uh, frequented his property uh, a lot. Now, my uncle, Ray, or Billy, one of them, 
the story is that he could run so fast that he would be running from the revenues and uh, he would take a rest on the fence pole waiting for him to catch up. And then he was like, you know, hey, I'm over hmm. here. And then he'd take out running again. Hmm. And then another one of uh, the neighbors, um, Mr. Patterson, he uh, was running from the revenues. And uh, of course, we've got these nice little hills and hollows. So if you go and jump, onto a tree that's kind of down into a hollow, you can skimmy down the tree mm. there. And that was his great uh, mode of escape there for a while, mm. except one time when he did it, the revenuer was at the bottom of the tree oh. waiting for him. Mm. So, <laughs> mm. The revenuers were so feared that they had people dreaming about them. Revenuers were chasing people even in their dreams. Yeah, you were talking about the revenuers. Uh, another Miss Grizzle, I think it was, was um, her husband had been caught, and uh, she he came apparently in later that evening, or I guess after being released, and she said something to the effect of, "Oh, I had dreamt last night that they were coming. I had dreamt last night that they were coming." And he says, "I wish you'd really told me that dream before now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so bad timing, but. Take a minute to listen to a word from our sponsors. Hello, fellow crime dogs. My name is Eric Phillips, and this is my co-host and hetero life mate, Robert Prestige. Hey, what's up, guys? We are here to tell you about our true crime podcast, Find Me in the Dark. Find Me in the Dark covers all things true crime. Mass shooters, serial killers, spree killers, one-off murders, family annihilators, missing persons, kidnappings and cold cases, and many other insane stories. We do deep dives into history's most incredible mysteries and discuss the darkest sides of humanity. Two best friends that are obsessed with true crime and want to share these stories with the world. We release one episode every two weeks covering a brand new crime every episode. If you like crime and like hearing two best friends discuss the ins and outs of the world's most devious human beings, like and subscribe on Facebook, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. We look forward to talking crime with you. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. Now back to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem Podcast. I'm sure that they did. Now, there is uh, a 1934 Canon Poole. I wish I had the copy of it. My sister has it, and it's important to her because there are two stories on the very front page about two different steals that the revenuers had uh, found and chopped up and dispensed of, but we're pretty sure that one was her husband's grandfather, great-grandfather, mm. and one was our great-grandfather, both mm. on the front page, because, as you said, it was very uh, rampant uh, when mm. everybody, everybody family making it. So, To the hills of Tennessee, to the streets of Chicago, Everyone was struggling, and I mean everyone. Well, except maybe for Capone. But to keep his business booming, he had to get the best, and Cooper was the best. Here's what happened when the city boys and the country boys met for an exchange of the best moonshine around. They had heard that he was the best moonshiner because of the creek water and everything. And from what I understand, arrangements were made 
uh, for them to come and get a couple of carloads from it. Now, uh, moonshiners, of course, are very suspicious. And they had heard of the Chicago boys, you know, just not being some of the nicest people around either. And so they were really afraid that these city folks were just going to come in and take them for whatever, you know, money they could get, get the whiskey, get the money, all that. So they had devised a plan that uh, they would just line the trees with different folks uh, armed and ready so that, you know, if he gave the signal as uh, they were coming out, they were, you know, to get back what was rightfully theirs. Um, but they came. Um, uh, apparently money was exchanged um, and everybody left peacefully. So hmm. nothing uh, nothing did end up happening, but uh, we weren't going to be bested by the city boys either. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> hmm. Cooper was the best moonshiner in Tennessee. He had one of the biggest steals in Tennessee. Cooper, like Slim, was killed in the process of dealing moonshine. Unfortunately, Cooper was killed by his nephew. Uh, probably over alcohol. Well, alcohol was involved uh, because I understand that Big John Patterson was uh, severely intoxicated. Um, the story goes that um, him and another fella had gone up the road to uh, John's house. Uh, he wasn't at home. Uh, supposedly, John uh, James Cooper was sitting there uh, shelling corn when John came into the house and found him and his wife there at the table, and he became very upset and angry. And uh, proceeded um, to uh, hack up his wife and uh, kill my grandfather. So um, there's a big story. It was in the paper, unfortunately, yeah, there for a while. So I think I've looked over that um, article. Yeah, yeah, so he died uh, apparently on the spot. Um, I know that uh, one of my uncles uh, came in, and Big John was going to, could have been Adam. That would have been, Adam was, Adam Melton was James Cooper's son, and he mm -hmm. was the sheriff. And when one of them got there, uh, it was told that John said, you can't go in there. And they said, yes, I'm coming in. And mm. so apparently just went right past John, but Cooper was dead by that, that point. So I've asked this question with every interview I've conducted. Why is moonshine so ingrained in our culture in Tennessee? I would say probably it goes back to roots that you come from your Irish ancestors, from um, able to, you know, it's almost medicinal in its purpose, too. I mean, because my grandfather, Fred Hale, um, he had severe rheumatoid arthritis. There was no pain medicine, so mm -hmm. a lot of times he drank his pain away. Um, so, you know, 
it was used for a lot of different reasons there too. And, you know, buying it was expensive because there's always been a tax on there. So, you know, it's a good, easy way to make money without uh, being taxed, um, to use it, you know, like I said, for pain, for party. It's just, you know, ingrained into everybody's, each aspect of everybody's life. Nowadays, US 70 is the road you take if you're traveling from Warren County to Cannon County. But back in the 1930s, there was not an easy access road. I, I, we've never been able to trace it, but now Mr. Grizzle, who was the first sheriff of Cannon County, he lived up, there's a small hill mountain here, so you actually can, he drove hogs, um, mm. and so you kind of can see the, the road that's up there. There's actually an old pottery up there, so if you go down that road and then past, it takes off to McMinnville and uh, some friends and I, we've got a group of, we call ourselves children of Short Mountain. Each one mm-hmm. of us are descendants from in and around this area. So the four of us get together and investigate any piece of information that we can find. Mm-hmm. So we had actually found that road, we think, that came through this area back over towards McMinnville because Mr. Grizzle used to drive his hogs, which is actually how that cabin got built because he was driving hogs in uh, Kentucky and uh, a doctor, Dr. Arnett, actually, uh, somebody was injured on the trail. Dr. Arnett followed him down here, came the rest of the way, ended up liking here and staying. And then from what I understand, he lived in the cabin that John Patterson built there. So, I began to unravel my theory to Melanie about the Slim and Capone and Cooper connection. I think that's a really good connection because, like you said, we had the people driving hogs, you know, to Mm -hmm. McMinnville. McMinnville was, you know, before Cannon was built, that's where your county seat was, before Mm -hmm. Woodbury was the county seat when this actually was Warren County. Mm -hmm. So the connection would be a real easy leap, I would think. Mm -hmm. So as a matter of fact, I'll get one of my children of Short Mountain to check out your grandfather's name and see what he knows. In the moonshining business, everyone takes their secrets to the grave. Well, so, we weren't, you don't, you didn't talk about yeah, that, the, I, especially the women, yeah. women and kids, you know, the, you didn't get told a whole lot about yeah. that. So, you know, as long t- it was a long time before my aunts would uh, even admit that my grandfather and great grandfather, um, you know, made shine. And hmm. uh, now my grandfather owned. One of the very first, not the very first, because Mr. Underwood owned the very first car out here. But in the 40s, he, 30s and 40s, he owned one of the very cars, you know, and I'm sure it picked up a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But he also hauled people to the doctor and those kind of things. But it was one of the only cars around. Researching this subject, especially with family history, it's such an intriguing endeavor. It's amazing when you get into yeah, the history of, of things and how the families cross and yeah. the businesses that they were in. So I am blessed to have the possession of the church records in my hands uh, that I keep. And um, starting this one starts uh, back in around the 1880s, 1890s. But um, and it starts with my great great grandfather also and when you hold something in your hand that you know goes back I, i've got little scraps um from the mercantile store 
uh, Maddox owned a store and you hold those little pieces of paper and like you said the ledgers I've got a a, a book where he wrote down the Mr. Smith's shoe size and what he liked to order and, and the saddles and the different uh, bridles that they would order wow. and sizes and it's just you know such a different world so when you hold those artifacts in your hands, it changes your perspective. It makes everything so real, so tangible. Just like being in this 200-year-old Methodist church, we weren't very far from Cooper Melton's grave, and we weren't very far from where our story began and lives ended. The distilling the exchange, the murder, and yes, the many, many raids of the revenuers. Men who went to extreme measures, confiscating and destroying steals. Revenuers were men of deeds, much darker than just tax collecting. They were hunters, chasing shiners down, putting them in graves and destroying the evidence all along the way. Thank you for listening to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem Podcast. If you have any information, please contact us at Moonshine Murder and Mayhem gmail.com or message us on the Facebook group 